Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here to talk about probably the most polarizing album that we've talked about on this podcast, Remedy uh, Remedy Lane, I wish, uh, The Perfect Element Part 1 by Pain of Salvation. But before we get there, Chris, buddy, how are you? Seven times. I listened to this album seven times. I don't know that it was enough because it took me, I think, probably about 20 listens, but we'll we'll get there. Um, Anything new this week jump out? Because I was very happy to hear new Avantasia music. I'm not going to lie. They came out with a new single, The Wicked Rule the Night, and it was really heavy. I thought it was like a real callback to that kind of like mid to late Ed guy that some of that heavy stuff you would hear on like Hellfire Club or whatever. Um, We had posted the song earlier in the week. It features Ralph Sheepers from Primal Fear. Awesome song. Really, really good. And I'm, I'm curious to see if the new album is, is just as heavy as um, the one track. Yeah, I mean, I always look forward to their albums, um, especially the last two albums I really, really uh, enjoyed quite a bit. Um, so, yeah, it, it's always fun to see who uh, who gets pegged to be um, guest vocalist on this album. Uh, obviously, we know one of them now. And uh I definitely am looking forward to it. I I always am. They're just always always have an interesting uh, album whenever it comes out, and uh, unfortunately, it's at the uh, the expense of any getting any new Ed guy stuff. But uh, you know, at least we're at least we get one one of the two, right? It's um, I, I think we're just resigned to the fact that at this point, fifteen years or so after the last Ed guy album, I, I think it's. I don't know that it's going to happen. And quite frankly, it's kind of like Sabotage, right? If TSO is such a cash cow uh, with with obviously Avantasia and Sabotage both headlining Bakken, I just don't see how they go back to the other bands. It just doesn't make any fiscal sense to me. But, you know, stranger things have happened. It's like waiting for the the next uh, Chrono Trigger sequel. Yeah, there you go. Or the Winter Sun album, which I think was still being worked on for 15 years now, but that's a story for another day. He just needs uh, to raise a few more, a few more million dollars and it should, <laughs> then it'll be ready. Yes. Yeah, so I, I, well, I think we're only at about 10 million, but I think once we get to 12, the ideas will start flowing. He needs, um, he wants to put a pizza oven in his sauna. So, <laughs> uh, anything else you checked out this week that was, uh, worthwhile? Yeah, um, we we uh, we both um, had mentioned before we went on that uh, Soil Work has a new single called "Overgiven Hitten." Um, I believe that is German, and so I forgive my uh, American bastardization of European words. But um, <laughs> I I, pr- I presume this is um, c- going to be on a forthcoming album. Uh, the song is awesome. Um, the song is I, awesome. I think yeah. it's Swedish. I think it's Swedish. I'm okay, Swedish. my bad. But no, I butchered, a, I'm sure I butchered it no matter what language it's in. <laughs> really good song, though. Yeah, yeah, Catch I it. enjoyed this a lot. And, like, the beginning of the song, like, kind of caught me off guard because it didn't sound like it was going to be a soil work song. But then once it came in, but you have um, Bjorn does the, the growls but also does some clean vocals on here. This is one of those bands that, like, I never thought I would be as much of a fan as I am. Like they've become like probably my favorite, like melodic death metal band. I just, and I just love Bjorn because of how, how versatile he is. Um, so yeah, good stuff. And the other thing is, uh, Charlotte Wessels, um, released this very, um, theatrical music video for, uh, her song Afkikin which was on her Tales from Six Feet Under album that came out last year. And this is a really cool 
like eight or nine minute or so music video kind of reminded me a bit of like thriller where it was just like there were parts where the music just stopped and there was just like you know see like actual dramatic scenes and uh in and and she actually shaved her head for this video and didn't debut her new look on the uh, social medias until the day that the video uh posted which i thought was kind of a nice touch but um it's a really cool song, very different than anything you might have been used to hearing her do uh, with Delane. But um, yeah, I, I just, it's not a, a real, it's not a brand new song, but it is a brand new video, and we'll post it uh, during the week. But uh, very cool stuff. I mean, just uh, even if you don't like the music, it is very like visually cool. So, hundred percent agree with you. It was uh, not what I was expecting, and I, for whatever reason, I, I didn't remember the song from the solo album. I, I, I didn't love it it wasn't my favorite album um but the song really popped with the video i think the the video elements kind of made the song that much better so good job yeah, I have to agreed, say interesting stuff. um but that brings us to the task at hand two weeks in the making and, and to be honest with you i'm almost happy that we didn't do it last week because i don't think i i don't think this is an album that you can listen to three times if you're not intimately familiar with it and just say and draw any conclusions from it i'm not sure seven is enough um this 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 album in particular but this band is just so polarizing i think you have people that literally hold them up as the greatest band that's ever walked the face of the earth and you have other people that can't listen to more than 30 seconds of their sound without walking out of the room it's that polarizing you i think well, it's funny. I'll, I'll speak for myself. The first four albums for me were absolute gold. And then they came out with B, which was their fifth album, and completely lost me. And although I've listened to every single album since then, and there's some great songs here and there that I love, I cannot put any of those albums on a pedestal like I do some of these early albums. And I'll, I'll kind of walk through that a little bit later. But I'm curious for someone like yourself who was – I don't want to say a fan of the band, but familiar with enough stuff and, and certainly um, a fan of some of their material. This was your first kind of real deep dive into, into this album. Is that kind of accurate? Yeah. Um, I think based on what my iTunes said, I may have listened to the whole thing once or twice in the past, in the past, like whatever, 20 years or that it's been in existence. So um, yeah, this is definitely my first, deep dive and i'd be honest with you like even by like the fourth listen i still didn't really know how to kind of verbalize how i felt about it. i mean if you say the word dense this is this might be the densest album we've ever talked about um it was uh it was definitely worthy of a, a two-week um, study session because, uh, and thank you for Sonder for, um, giving me the extra week to prepare for this. Cause I don't think what I would have had to say after one week would have been the same as what I'm going to say today. And to your point, um, I have been in the camp of both poles <laughs> of train <laughs> of salvation at, cause at one point I, there's, I just could not get into this band. Like it, and I think the reason why is because you can't just listen to 
anything like once or twice and then move on from it. Same with Remedy Lane. I listened to Remedy Lane like a bunch of times uh, before they performed it at Prague Power. And, and that was another album where it took those five, six listens to, for it to really click. And, and I will say that this album, probably on the fifth or sixth listen, like finally started to click for me. But the way that like that After Forever self-titled album was just like instantaneous with me like i loved it immediately this was like like really it was like a cram session like like not a cram session but like a long a long-term study like for a, a comprehensive exam of the whole year's worth of material um but i get why this band is so polarizing and this album i think is a really good example of that and um i think some of my opinions about it are, are going to surprise you. I'm very curious. Um, first of all, thank you for taking the uh, the prog metal bar exam because you you just <laughs> took it. In the last two weeks, you, you crammed for the entire thing. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. I'm not even sure if you're aware of this. This album comes out in October of, t- of 2000. Actually, it comes out October 31st, Halloween um, of 2000. This is like the height of my dream theater fandom. I had never heard a note from these guys up until this album being released. And for the first, I think, like nine months that this album was out, I don't think I heard a note from it. I was working in Scoop's Italian Ice Stand in New Hyde Park, right? So just to kind of maintain a little perspective, I'm 18 years old. I'm scooping Italian ices during the summer on my break from college. And I got Ryan, our mutual friend, a job at the ice stand. And we would do the night shifts together because it was real busy. And there was a little boom box in there. And I'm sure this was great for business, but he would bring CDs. I would bring CDs. Um, and he brings this album to the ice stand. And I had heard nothing from them, right? Like I, I had heard a buzz that there's this pan called Pain of Salvation. I had never heard a note from them. This is before we had gone to Prague Power 3 and saw them. This is before um, Remedy Lane is even a concept, right? Like this is just on the heels of this album being released. And he plays this for me. And I was like, turn it off. Turn it off. I don't want to hear it. This is terrible. And my immediate thoughts, right? Because you have to understand the way it starts with used with the rap vocals, which we'll get to. My immediate thought was this is system of a down. Like I, I couldn't even, I couldn't even discern the difference between the two bands at the time. It just sounded to me like noise. And I, and I could not for the life of me get it. Turns it off, comes back the next week, puts the CD in the CD player. I get through the whole thing. I hate it. I don't like it, but I listened to the whole thing. This went on the entire summer. I listened to this album so many times and I hated it every single time I listened to it. Now, let's, then be I, fair. let's be fair. Anything sounds better when you have an endless supply of Italian ice at your disposal. And I still hated it. So that should tell you how bad this album was yeah. to me in the summer of 2001. And then for some reason, I said to myself, I want to buy the album. And you say to yourself, why would he buy the album? He hates it. Something about it made me want to keep listening to it, even though I wasn't enjoying it for like the first 10 or 12 or 25 listens or whatever. Something happened. And all of a sudden, I had an epiphany. I'm like, this is really good. And I don't know when or why or how, but it grew on me. Maybe like a cancer. I don't know. It was like 
It's like the sadist guide to heavy metal. Yeah, it, pretty much. I mean, it was wild. And then all of a sudden, I became like the biggest fanboy. I picked up, I picked up Entropia. I picked up One Hour by the Concrete Leak. And then ultimately, I would pick up Remedy Lane. Um, and, and I'll give my thoughts on that a little bit later. But to say that this album was a grower, I, I can honestly say that no album has ever grown on me like this album has. I was able to get into Remedy Lane pretty quickly because I knew what the band was. This album I had to work for more than any other album I've ever listened to in my life. Yeah, well, geez, like <laughs> that that was you just described like just the last two weeks for me <laughs> but just it was like the condensed version of that but uh yeah i was a bit more familiar with pain of salvation going into this um like i said you know um you know get it like listening to remedy lane um and then just being friends with caleb um and, and kind of having him in my ear about um them and, and a number of bands that i kind of didn't give a, a fair chance to uh, for whatever reason. And again, you know, Pain of Salvation kind of hit their stride at a time where I was kind of falling out with metal. So part of it was like, if it's not, if it doesn't blow me away on first listen, the way like Power Quest did the first time I heard them, then like, I was just kind of like, all right, I can move on with my day, go back to listening to Pearl Jam. But um, this is just one of those bands where like, uh, you know, along with Evergrey and Opeth and just bands, I was just like, what? the hell is everybody so hyped up about i mean these are bands that people freaking love like just absolutely adore and and, um this was uh this was was i want i i gotta say it wasn't as much of a struggle as i thought it would be it's just more of it was more of like um kind of assigning like the individuality of each song in my brain because to me like i at first i was kind of listening to it as as a whole rather than like 12 parts. And it took me longer to kind of like differentiate each song with the exception of some, the, some of the songs that I knew better going into it, like used in ashes and uh, the, the the title track at the end, which I I already knew from kind of getting prepped to see pain of salvation live. I've seen them more times than um, some of my favorite bands in the world, oddly enough. Uh, So, um, yeah, uh, so I, I get, you know, the struggle, um, but I, just for me, I guess it was kind of like a, you know, a condensed version of, of what, you know, you went through with not as much uh, lemon ice. <laughs> Maybe you would have enjoyed it more, but we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Um, as I it's said, a, it's a long drive to Corona. For, for, yeah. <laughs> also, also true. <laughs> Worth it, but true. Um yeah. It comes out October 30th. Obviously, um, for those that are familiar with the band, this is kind of the brainchild of Daniel Gildenlow, who does the lead vocals. He does uh, lead guitars. He produced the album. He mixed it. He mastered it. Um, his brother, Christopher, was on bass. He does a lot of the backing vocals. Uh, Johan Hallgren uh, plays the other guitar. He had left the band for some time. He's now back with the band, so we'll be seeing him uh, perform this album in its entirety in Atlanta in just a couple of weeks. Frederick Hermanson on keyboards and Johan Langel on drums, both of whom are, I believe, no longer with the band. Um, the other thing, and I think it's worth mentioning up front, that makes this difficult is not just the music, but the lyrical themes are really dark and really depressing. And quite frankly, like 
a chore to get through. You know, if, if you're looking for something lighthearted, this is not it. If you're looking for something thought provoking and introspective, I, I think you might have found it. I, I just think that this is different and operates on a level that's completely different than 99.9% of the music that's out there, let alone what we listen to. Um, but, you know, I'm hoping is- that you can kind of hold my hand through the, the thematic. Um, portion. Uh, I mean, I really didn't get a chance to like delve into lyrics and themes and stuff like that. So yep. I'm hoping that you can kind of help me out there. Uh, I got more of the the musical side of it and not as much of the lyrical slash theme. So yeah, and, and I will, I'll walk you through it in broad strokes. I don't particularly know each song. Qu- I know each song. I don't know the the thematics that as we kind of go through. Um, parts of the album, but I can kind of walk you through it in broad strokes. Um, what I can say is in, 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 in real, um, you know, just to kind of like sum it up at the outset, basically the story involves two different characters, a male and a female. And uh, to say that these people are, are have issues, I think would be an understatement. They're kind of like broken dysfunctional types, um, but their lives kind of, let's just say they meet uh, during the song Ashes. And that is a theme that kind of permeates the rest of the album because there are parts of Ashes, the song or the melody, in multiple tracks that follow uh, later on in the album. And, it, and it's really just a discussion of like kind of their troubled past and some of the struggles that they're feeling. Um, and it touches on a whole wide range of, of topics. I mean, you're talking about loss and anger and despair, drug abuse, um, child abuse. It's... it's you know, human sexuality, it's really touching on a lot of different things here. But it's, I think that even though there's a story being told by Gildenlow with the lyrics, I also think that to a lot of people listening to it, they may draw their own conclusions or or have their own takeaways just because of the, the nature of the lyrics. It's not really descriptive. It's not really like you look at it and you say, oh, I know what this is about. It's kind of alluding to a lot of different things in its own intellectual way, which is interesting, um, but but very hard to digest. And, and so it's typically not something that you're going to find yourself singing along to because it's really dark and bleak and, and in many ways um, an introspective journey into, into the human mind. Yeah. You know, it's interesting that you kind of mentioned that there's like this, these two characters, cause it's, it's, this is on the heels of, of scenes from a memory, which came out the year before, which like Jesus couldn't be more different Two progressive metal albums that are like night and day. Um, but, uh, but like from a, you know, a thematic standpoint, like that's another story of, just uh, a, a, a relationships and and the difficulty and jealousy and things like that. So that's a kind of a a mind bender. I feel like this one kind of takes it to a whole nother level. But um, it's so odd to me that like this album that I just really digested in the last two weeks came out the year after Scenes from a Memory, which is an album I've been listening to for over twenty years. But uh, it, it almost makes me feel like, I mean, maybe I'm just behind, but it feels like this album might have been a kind of ahead of its time because it's just, I don't know. Was there anything really like this at the time in 2000? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I, I, I was just kind of put things in perspective. And it's funny because we haven't even talked about this album yet, but in, in the pantheon of Pain of Salvation, um, I, I always thought that their debut album, Entropia, was really, really good. And I, it's probably my third favorite album by the band. 
One Hour by the Concrete Lake um, gets a lot of love, and I think it has its moments. It's good. I don't put it up there with um, some of their other stuff. I think that this album, and I'll just kind of put it out there now, if you would have asked me in that, when I was serving those Italian ices, what this album was, I would have said it's a three, like it was terrible. Once it clicked, it became a 9.5 or a 10 for me. But to be honest with you, I actually don't like it as much now as I did at one point. It's actually gone down a little bit, in part because Remedy Lane is a Desert Island 10 out of 10 disc for me. And although it didn't come up, I went back and listened to it this week to make sure that my feelings on that album are still what they are. And it is. That is a probably a top five album for me of all time. Like I'll put it up with Mind Crime, which we've talked about. I'll put it up with Pure Reason Revolutions, The Dark Third, which is probably my most played album. Um, I'll put it up there with the first Avantage album, which we covered in the archives. These are like, you know, my favorite discs. Remedy Lane is with, with, with those albums. This particular album is, I would have said it was a notch below Remedy Lane. I think it's probably two notches below Remedy Lane, which still puts it in rarefied air. They are, in my opinion, the, the band's two best works. They just happen to be back-to-back. But I don't think that this is their best album. It's close. It's just not It's just not as good as Remy Lane to me. And then it's funny because B, like, the way you feel about Anthrax is better than the way I feel about B. I think the album has, like, two redeeming songs and the rest of it is complete garbage. And, and again, it's funny because I'm, on the one hand, I'm saying that this band has – produced my, one of my favorite albums of all time and the follow-up effort would be one of my maybe the biggest disappointing the biggest disappointment I've ever had musically I bought that album I was so excited and then I played it I'm like uh, this this is terrible I must it must be me I, so I played it again and again I played the album 20 times and it still sucks and then everything they've done since then is hit or miss with certain songs or, you know, certain albums, but nothing. And I mean, nothing compares to this kind of 2000, 2001, 2002 era of pain and salvation for me. Yeah. Well, you can't, uh, you can't accuse this band of of sticking to one type of sound. I mean, I I mean, I started listening to, to this band like with some sort sense of regularity during the time that road salt one and two were <laughs> coming out. And like people were very much aghast <laughs> to, to use, uh, to, to, to use a, a word um, at these, these, these two albums. And like, you know, I heard a couple of songs like, you know, a song like linoleum. It's like, to me, it's like a, it's an alt rock song. It's not a metal song. And right. maybe that's, I don't know if I ever really listened to the whole the whole two albums, but I mean, that, I kind of got a vibe that they were going down more of a like an alt rock kind of road. But then, like you know, in the passing light of day, and Panther kind of went their own directions too. And I don't want to go too deep in the weeds on, on their entire discography because I just don't have enough knowledge. But um, there's a reason why Pain of Salvation has has played one album in its entirety at Prague power and is playing another one in its entirety at Prague power. And those two albums are, are the two albums you just mentioned, perfect element and, and remedy lane. That, that's, there's no accident there. I mean, those are, are, I think widely regarded as their two best works. I couldn't have said it any better. And, and I'll just say this about the latter stuff. I have no problem going in an alt rock direction or 
kind of a quirky direction that they, they, they went into on Panther and stuff like that. I have no issue conceptually with the evolution. It's just that when you release arguably two of the greatest prog metal albums of all time, arguably, but I would argue they are, not that you want to hear that same derivative sound, but such a stark contrast you're always hoping that they're going to come out with like the perfect element part two or that they're going to come out with remedy lane part two, because when dream theater came out with scenes from a memory, it really kind of in many ways felt like an extension of images and words, albeit, you know, so many years later, there was so many, there were ties there, but it kind of maintained that core sound at least a little bit. It wasn't a complete departure, which is what you heard on roll salt Two, for example, just a complete departure. You would think it was two different bands. But- it's so fun. It's funny that you mentioned Dream Theater because I was ju- I was just about to say like it's it's similar to like the backlash that I think Dream Theater got when they did Falling into Infinity, which we we talked about at length. Um, but I think because it was kind of a one off, and and like you said, they kind of went right back to the well with with scenes from a memory, and it was a much more uh, positively received album. I think Falling into Infinity kind of became something of like a cult classic, I guess, in a lot of ways, because it didn't, it didn't represent a change in Pearl and Pearl Jam. Wow. In dream theaters mm-hmm. direction, whereas pain of salvation, I don't think has, has really come close to touching this rarefied air, as you put it, of these two albums since these two albums, I, I, don't, I don't know what you would consider your, your, their best album since remedy lane. Uh, w- what would you say is the best one? I, I, <sighs> I would say 12.5, the acoustic live album, but that's only because they cover the first four albums in this really cool acoustic way, but that's cheating. So I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to count that. I think I would probably say in the passing light of day was my favorite. I thought Panther was terrible. I still don't like it. I didn't enjoy the road salt albums. Um, Scarsick had a couple of decent songs but for the most part I wasn't a fan so I would I would go um I would I would go in the passing light of day but you, you don't know, love that, you don't love disco queen uh, yeah <laughs> just <laughs> lost me lost me on that one I, 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 I I'm going in the passing light of day but to be fair I would put that as their fifth best album and distant from the from the top four that I you know those first four albums that's just kind of where I'm at um, but hey, listen. L- let's get into the songs. I- I'm still. You've done a lot of. You- you've we've managed to talk for nearly half an hour, and I still don't know what your thoughts are on this album. So I, I want to get into it. Uh, the album starts with "Used," which, if you've never heard them, like I said to me, this was a system of a down clone to me, or a- at least in my head at the time. I think this was in and around when that Chop Suey single came out, and I'm like, it's the same. Fr- you know, it's the same song, but. I've obviously since learned that that it's not that, but it's, it's, it's those rap vocals during some of the verses, which was like nuts to me. And I had never heard anything like this. And like, I was so anti new metal at the time, right? Like with the Lincoln parks and the limp biscuits, which were kind of employing sounds like this, that I'm like, this is I'm like pain of salvation is new metal. They're not. Um, This is a really awesome song. It's, there's a phrase I'm going to use here, which I probably could say about 90% of this album, very, very dark and brooding verses. Um, the drumming on this song is absolutely phenomenal and reminds me actually, believe it or not, of Fate's Warning in many places, just the way that the drumming is on this one song. Um, even though it turned me off to the band, 
in 2001. Now I can't imagine the album without it. It's not my favorite track, but I think it's a really cool opener. You just validated something for me because I was like, am I crazy? Am I hearing System of a Down here? Like, so, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not crazy. Gildenlow is crazy. Yeah, but, there you go. But yeah, what, I totally, totally picked that up. So yeah, I mentioned before, this is a song that um, I was familiar with because it has been something of a, of a live staple for the band uh, since the album came out. Um, I think this song is really good. I, I like, um, I think it's just kind of this cool, it's got like these quirky sound effects and, and um, I think it's a really cool way to, to kind of, uh, kick things off it's got some really like like really like heavy heavy parts like this is this is the start of and we haven't mentioned it yet but this is a meaty album this is a like a 72 minute this is like pretty much as much sound as you could cram onto a of a cd at the time um without it you know turning into a double disc album um so you know this ends up being um kind of I guess kind of middle of the road lengthwise uh, as far as tracks go. They have some pretty long ones on here, but um, I thought this was a fine, uh, fine opener. And I, I remember liking it when I listened to it, uh, getting into the band initially. And I still, uh, still liked it now. Um, just, yeah, I agree with uh, what you had to say about it. It's, it's cool. And it does kind of show that, Pain of Salvation does have a lot of different types of style. Like it, this song does kind of bounce around stylistically, I think. But um, yeah, yeah, good start. The the album is it's interesting because you have songs like Used and the third track Ashes, amongst others, where they're you know typical song lengths. But there are a lot of epics on this album, which they kind of just come out of nowhere. And I think in the flesh is one of them. It's the second track. It comes in at over eight and a half minutes. This to me is emblematic of everything I love about this band. I think it is this particular song is an absolute like prog masterpiece that nobody talks about. And I'll put it up front. It's my song of the week. I had a feeling it would be going into it. There were some other contenders. I'll mention them later on. Um, but go, but the fact is, after listening to this album multiple times yet again, this is like rarefied air here as well. There are parts of this song which are so, um, I'll just say dynamic, that it, every time I listen to it, I'm blown away. There's parts, there's that, that guitar intro is absolutely perfect with that bass line that just absolutely pops from the beginning. Phenomenal. Uh, outstanding lyrics. And even though it's a kind of a slow build, the second half of this song is so like awesome that it literally sends like chills up my arm. And I cannot wait to see them play this song live. I acknowledge you got to be in the headspace for it. Like, again, I'm hoping I'm in the right mood for it when I see it. But that, like I said, the last four and a half minutes of this song is as good as any Pain of Salvation song on the planet. Um, which is funny because I'd say my three or four favorite Pain of Salvation songs aren't even on this album, but this is probably right in the top five, and it's right there. She has a close to Don't 
Yeah, love it. Um, really? Yeah, I think it's a fantastic song. I love the beginning. I love Gildan Lowe's chill vocals. I think he mm-hmm. has such a, a very, just a very, like, soothing kind of voice. And then there's, then when he like can, when he sings more angrily, it's not that soothing. But um, I think this song is really good. And and I'm kind of glad that you mentioned like you know seeing it live and being in the mood. I think that this band getting to hear this album in between what's going to be like a symphonic power metal party with uh, seven spires and then a power metal clinic from Stradivarius, you know, book ending pain of salvation set. Um, I think it's going to be like perfectly placed where you're just going to have like this really, this really just angsty, moody emo hour and a half (laughs) in between like like, two power metal, like, you know, circle jerks. So like, <laughs> uh, did somebody invite my chemical romance to the party? Because it seems like they've got an hour and a half set in there as well. Yeah. Um, the, the third track ashes is, is probably, I guess like one of their best known songs on any album. Um, when I, when I first kind of got attracted to it, this was the song that grabbed me, uh, if you will. Now, I think it's part of the reason I'm actually dinging the album just a little bit because I think I'm sick of the song and like, I appreciate it for what it is. It's good. It's been a live staple for years. Um, and obviously it's the central theme to this entire album, but I'm other than about, showing up, about dreary, this is oh my dreary God. like I said, dark, brooding, <laughs> repetitive, and it shows off Gildan Lowe's vocal range, but I think I'm just sick of the song. It's it's a song that I played so much and it helped me get into them. But now I just kind of – I would almost skip it because In the Flesh and Morning on Earth, the fourth track, are so good that I just don't care as much. So sl- slight demerit but only because of their own perfection. Sure. Uh, I mean, um, Dave Milburn, one of our listeners, and, and he um, – I believe he was the one who requested the Mastodon album that we talked about. He messaged us earlier, and he was saying um, that he thinks this is arguably the Pain of Salvation's most accessible song. And I kind of – I mean, I've put it on a power hour, so what does that say about Ashes? Um <laughs> depressing power hour is what it tells me but yeah well you got to bring it down after an hour of Stradivarius so it's like (laughs) the opposite of prog power but um yeah this one I probably knew the best of of any of the songs on the album and you know I agree with you it's not I actually like most of the songs on the album better than than this um but it's still a pretty good song I probably haven't um gotten as sick of it as you have so um but again, I, I totally understand. Like, there are definitely songs coming up that I, I enjoyed a, a bit more. But um, th- yeah, this is. Uh, I, I will say, I, th- there weren't any songs I didn't like. Believe it or not, interesting. I, I, yeah, I, I'm, um, interesting. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm surprised. Um, Morning on Earth starts with this really faint guitar sound, and and it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I, I think that it's. Uh, Probably not my favorite Pain of Salvation ballad because they do ballads really well. Um, but it, this is a good song, awesome bass lines, and, and, and again, much like used, 
awesome sample effects that if you kind of use headphones, you, you hear stuff that you don't otherwise recognize if you're listening in a car or on standalone speakers. Um, a good song. I think it's it. it the, 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 I think you needed a come down track, and this is it. But it's it's just a pretty ballad. If you listen to this with headphones, you can hear a voice telling you to kill Ringo Starr. Um, <laughs> is that where it came from? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the first one with with, um, with Charles Manson. That was a, you know, <laughs> he he probably didn't get a copy of Perfect Element because he was imprisoned by then. But um. <laughs> He probably would have enjoyed it and then would have gone on to kill Ringo Starr. So we have, uh, <laughs> you know, there's something to think about. Um, but yeah, sidebar. Um, I, I really like this song. I think it's a really beautiful kind of just, again, another real kind of depressing kind of, uh, song. And, and you get to hear some of the, um, <laughs> Daniel Gil, Daniel, Daniel Gildenlow trademark whisper talk about halfway <laughs> through the song where it's like, you know who I want to read me a story the least before I go to bed at night is <laughs> Daniel Gildenlow with his like his like mental mental breakdown um, speaking soft speaking talk like okay I guess I'm gonna have about seven straight hours of nightmares and maybe I'll is sleep re- for, for yeah it'll be like you you have a nightmare you're listening to B for the rest of the night yeah oh god that I can't think of any <laughs> torture worse um th- there's a reason he's not like reading books on audible right like I I guess there's, <laughs> there's well, a good reason I mean he could read like you know like horror books I guess like he's not reading like uh, good night moon thankfully um, <laughs> but, uh, um, I- but 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 honestly though like um I, the, I just um where it just kind of like gets to that like atmospheric kind of part and it's it's really very beautiful almost kind of has like a i don't know if i call it like a um uh, uh the name of the band is uh is escaping me but um um it's just very like very cl- like almost on a cloud like very a uh, porcupine tree that's what i was thinking yeah, yeah. has a very like atmospheric kind of vibe to it and then it kind of goes back to being weird again but um I like this song a lot. I thought it was um, it was good. Like, yeah, good stuff. It's um, I, I think that the biggest compliment you can give a band is when they actually like influence or or cause other bands to, you know, put out albums. That's what literally the song Idioglossia does. It's another one of those epic tracks. Um, not their best, uh, but but enjoyable. It has a kind of a catchy proggy intro. There's the bass line is so pronounced and so strong in this song that I could literally hear another band, and, and that is Wastefall, who's a Greek progressive metal band. Nobody um, really talks about them anymore. They came out with three albums in the 2000s and then came out with an EP back in 2014. But the reality is their album from 2004, Soul Rain 21, the entire album sounds like Idioglossia. And it's so obvious to me that Pain of Salvation was like a huge influence for this Greek band um, that, again, it's, I think, just nothing but a compliment to Pain of Salvation. Um, to say they were an influence would actually be like a, an understatement. I mean, it was almost a blatant ripoff. What's cool about this, though, is there's like multiple songs going on here at the same time. And I, of all the songs on the album, it's kind of the hardest one for me to describe. It's all over the place. And it's wonderful. 
and it has a callback to Ashes, but it's heavier yep. and faster. And like, it's just, it's just really, really cool. And again, it goes back to that central, kind of some of those central themes that I mentioned earlier. Um, if I was playing this song for, if I was playing a song for somebody that's never heard the band, I am not playing this track. I'm playing Ashes. I'm not playing this because this is like a hard one to digest. But as, as a, you know, once I got it, I got it and I, and I love it. I, this is one of the songs that the deeper and in, into the album I got, the more it stood out to me. And I ended up, it ended up being one of my favorite ones on the album. I, I just, I just really liked it. Um, a lot of times, like I, I was listening to this album, I was working and like, this was one of the songs along with the next track, her voices that I would keep going back to my iTunes to check to see which song it was like, which the, t- let me try to remember the title of the song. Cause I don't know. You know, these are a lot of, um, I think like Pain of Salvation is a kind of band where they might not actually say the, what the, the name of the song in the lyrics. It's not like, you know, where Pearl Jam says even flow 60 times during <laughs> even flow. So you kind of have an idea what song it is. It's like, it's not like Gildan Lowe is going idiogasia like 40 <laughs> times during the song, you know, I, I, quite. so that's why I was having kind of a hard time remembering, you know, what song is which, but, um, I found that this and her voices, um, together it's like it's like 15 or 16 minutes of music but i just don't those two tracks just really kind of grabbed me just and it's weird because there's just so much going on it's not a it's not a consistent eight and a half minutes of like one type of song you're right it's like a, a suite almost of a number of songs but um i ended up really enjoying this one i think it's uh i think it's a good tune and 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 yeah and i, I think i'm gonna go with her voices as my Song of the week, if you could believe it. Um, I, I can, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm glad you mentioned that. Other than Ashes, when I first heard the album, this was the other track that I have vivid memories of loving. To, when I first, first, when it first started clicking, it was Ashes and her voices that led me to love the rest of the album. So I completely get it. I will admit, I've done a bit of a 180 on this one, maybe for the same reason as Ashes. I, I, I acknowledge it's a good song. If I was going to skip one song, it would probably be Ashes. If I was going to skip a second, it might be Her Voices. But I think it's just because the other 10 tracks are so damn good. Um, what's cool here is like the choruses are so thick and so heavy. Um, and, and then all of a sudden, it kind of goes into this like Middle Eastern flair in the second half, which I don't know why, but it does. And it, it's really cool. And then it has this extended instrumental section towards the end. I, it's it's a cool track and 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 again I, I I still like it. It's just not as I don't love it the way that I think I used to. What's really interesting though, and I think this is worth noting, the mix is so good on this album to me. And this is probably the best example of it with those lush keyboards that are out there and stuff like that. And obviously the bass lines which we've talked about, really really interesting stuff and kind of like a masterclass in how to mix an album. Yeah, well said. Um, I, you know, you said, you mentioned kind of like a Middle Eastern kind of vibe. Like, I hear like Haken, you know, like, maybe mm. like Haken heard this album or heard this song and was like, oh, we should make that our sound or part of our very complicated and, and rich sound.
it's again progressive metal it's just such a fascinating genre because there's so many ways to do it i mean there's symphony x and dream theater and pain of salvation and haken and and those bands all have such a a distinct flair that don't you know that that don't sound the same as each other and this is another one of those bands where it's like so unique um but uh i think it was really the second half of the song that really um really like like hit me i'd go back and that whole like instrumental part during that second half i'm like man this is just some really quality musicianship and um and then like the strings that come in towards the end and it gets really dramatic like this is just a very um just like idioglossia just a lot of and like again like another suite of songs within a song but um i thought that those two songs in a row um and i guess like each Four, each of the four tracks, one through four, four five through eight, nine through 12, are, are part of their own chapter. Um, so these are the first two songs of chapter two. Um, I, I, I just, I, I mean, the end of her voices is just like, it could be the end of an album. It's just so epic. Um, yeah, oh, and, I, I and agree. It's, and, it's, and it's just, and it's the end of half the album. <laughs> exactly. And, and, and it's funny because I think that after those two tracks back to back, and I can understand why you lump them together, not just because they come sequentially, but because of just like how the songs are kind of prepared. You need a come down track, and that's what dedication is, right? It's an acoustic guitar, very bass driven song as well. Kind of a forgotten track. Nobody really talks about this one. I don't have much to say. It's not bad. It's more of just like a segue track because you have like the density of the two tracks before it, and then King of Loss, which is like another epic and if in the flesh was not my song of the week, it would have been King of Loss or possibly the title track. Um, just such a like dynamic, dynamic song. Uh, I'll get to King of Loss in a second. I'll, do you have anything to say about dedication? I, it's kind of I don't want to say a filler track, but it, it's just like a it means to an end for me. Yeah, it's like when a prog band makes a four-minute song. You're like, oh, it's filler. Yeah, exa- exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, for, and then if it's a Green Day song, it's an epic. So. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, no, th- this is good. I don't think it's, like, super memorable. I thought that the beginning – actually, the whole song to me instrumentally almost reminds me of, like, town music from a from a role-playing game. Um, just kind of this kind of chill, like, you know, nothing to see here. Everything's fine. There's definitely not an army amassing in the basement of somebody's house here in town. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, uh, I I think you pretty much said a, you know everything that needs to be said about dedication. Whereas, like King of Loss, you're talking about like chilling piano sounds, amazing vocals, uh, a really really slow build to what's one of, if not the most powerful chorus on the album. But I'm going to use a word that I haven't used yet. Lugubrious. Yeah, Um. lugubrious. And a second (laughs) word, catchy. Um, The vocals with the screaming and then this beautiful bridge that comes after it with a a callback to Ashes as well. It's the contrast and, and the different directions that this song takes which I just absolutely love. And and to be honest, I'll call it right now, this will be the highlight of their set in Atlanta, this song live. Oh, man, I, I need to start. I've never taken a note in my history of this podcast, but I I, I have like a couple of things I want to remember to mention before we um, before we finish up. But uh, yeah, this is another 
another really great tune, just very epic. Um, I'm going to say, you know, I was going to save this for the end, but I'm just going to tell you right now, we're eight tracks in, like, I plan on seeing this. I do not want to miss this. Um, I don't think I'm going to skip any bands on Thursday at Prague Power. Um, I just think that this, that, that seven spires, pain of salvation, Stradivarius three in a row at the end of Thursday, I think it's just going to be incredible. And this album is just too interesting to not want to see performed live. I I think it's going to be really cool. And and I agree with you. This song is definitely going to be one of the highlights. I um I was going to ask the question, but then based on your responses, I was starting to think that there was actually a chance that that might be the answer. Um, I, I'm I'm going to hold you to that. This is uh, it's going to be special. Um, to say the least. We, we we get to like the last chapter of the album, and it starts with a song called Reconciliation, which I think is probably maybe the second or third most accessible track on the album. It's not a ballad. It's just kind of a straightforward rocker um, where that main riff that kind of permeates the whole thing. And again, the drumming is absolutely outstanding. There's a version of this, I believe, on 12.5, which I mentioned earlier, which is just phenomenal acoustic. I like this track a lot. I don't think it's a standout track. I'm not going to say it's up there with King of Loss. I just think it's a really good song. I love um, the vocals on this. Like, I, it's He's... The, the variation between like just that really beautiful kind of quiet chill vocal that he does versus like that really angsty with like a little bit of a little bit throaty that he does in this song. Uh, he's a hell of a singer. I don't know that he gets the, the credit um, because I think people are, are more drawn to just the the um, how uh, not complicated, but um, how deep and, and, and introspective a lot of this music is. But I mean, underneath it all, Daniel Gildenlow is, is a pretty damn good singer. And uh, I think this was a, a good example of that. This is um, for one of the shorter songs. I think it was one of the better shorter songs. Um, it, and I agree. It has a very like very catchy and accessible opening riff that kind of goes on throughout the song so um yeah this was uh this was good a good way to kick off um chapter three and and i feel like the second half of the album moves a little bit faster probably because a lot of the songs are just shorter so it like the the last third of the album kind of picks up pace quite a bit song for the innocent which is the 10th track kind of starts like a ballad but then gets really really dark really really quickly i've always kind of looked at this as a bit of an interlude as well, even though it's over three minutes. And and again, it's calling back to that Ashes central theme. Um, a good song that leads into a song called Falling, which is really just an extended guitar solo. And, and what's funny is because with those two tracks, when you put them together, remind me of something else that we talked about in the archives. And that was Waiting for 22 and My Empty Room on Operation Mindcrime. The two tracks together which are a bit of a song, a bit of an interlude, but then ultimately goes into the epic final track. Pain of Salvation borrowed that exact concept when they made this album because it goes into that final epic final track, which I'll get to. Um, but I lumped these two songs together as kind of a uh, uh, just gearing up for the you know the final run here. Yeah, why don't we just call this Operation Mindcrime 2 and forget yeah. that the real Operation Mindcrime 2 ever happened? <laughs> yeah, I, no arguments for me. Um, any thoughts on those songs or you want to just jump into the perfect element, which is where it gets real meaty? 
Um, no, I think you were right on, right on target. Um, I just, I'll mention about, um, falling. It's just, um, I believe I've seen them perform it live before the perfect element as it's kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and it's just, it just makes for a really good guitar solo. It's a good little, um, spotlight for the, the guitar. Um, but yeah, then it kicks into perfect element, which is like a 10 minute track. This is this is a damn good song. And I knew this song going in um, because it was something that they would play live. Um, but uh, hell of a way to, to kind of wrap things up here with this, um, this kind of beast of a song. It's the longest one on the album. And um, again, it, it, it never, it never gets boring. It's always interesting. Um, and, and it really just has a little bit of everything that makes this album so good. Yeah, I think that's well said. You know, it's funny. They don't write songs like this anymore. And this this track is what Beyond the Pale is to Remedy Lane. Maybe not as good in my opinion, but but just a fantastic, fantastic song. And I say to myself, why aren't they writing epic tunes like this anymore? And And you mentioned the strings earlier. They're really prominent on this track. And I just think it's absolutely perfect. And it's a phenomenal cro- closer, much like Eyes of a Stranger is on, on – um, on Mind Crime, I, I I think it's a perfect closing track for this album, and kind of just puts a bow on this uh, journey that the listener goes on through these the two young kids, if you will. Well, you know, well said. I, I um, I you know, going into this, I thought this was going to end up being my song of the week. If you can imagine, a ten minute Pain of Salvation song is the song of anything for me, but um. <laughs> it's still a really good song. I thought that the longer songs were going to be the ones that I didn't like as much because I thought they would drag and get boring and I would lose interest. They're actually in the flesh, idioglossia, her voice is king of loss, perfect element. Like those were actually the, the songs that I like the most. And they're the, yeah. and they're the ones that are long. And, and it just, I think that says a lot about the band that, um, that they, they, even though the songs are long, they're not boring, which is sometimes, you know, and I say it a lot, like sometimes prog long songs, they could meander and, and it becomes more of a look at what I can do on my instrument, you know, masturbation fest. And I don't think that, um, I don't think that this album is like that at all. Um, I think it's just, it, it's an interesting thing. It's like George Carlin once said about um, the blues is that uh, it's not about, it's not about the notes that you play. It's about knowing why the notes need to be played. And I feel like this is an album where, you know, there's no wasted sound. It's just like, this is where this, this belongs where it belongs for a reason. Nothing overstays its welcome. Um, I'm shocked. I, I ended up really enjoying this album and I plan on, and, and again, like my goal with the conception episode is like, I wanted to go into prog power knowing you know, that this was something I was going to enjoy or knowing that it was something I wasn't going to enjoy, um, which was crossed, had crossed my mind. But um, no, I, I think that this seven time listening to this album over the last two weeks has convinced me um, that I, I want to see this performed live. Um, I, I think I didn't stay for all of Remedy Lane. I think I stayed for the beginning of it, um, but I just needed a break. But um Man, I, I I think I may have to stick around and ca- catch most, if not all, of this set. And I also just think that a lot of people that I'm going to be attending with are going to want to see it too. Um, so, yeah, um, count me in. I, I, I'm very impressed by this. And uh, 
yeah, this was actually, you know, I think some of the people that listened that thought that probably figured like, oh, there's no way that Chris is going to enjoy this album. Um, surprise. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm one of them. I, I'm going to ask the, 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 the $64,000 question on a scale of one to 10. What are you giving this going into it? I, I, I was wondering if we were going to compete with that Anthrax 6, but obviously it's higher than that. How hard are we going on this? Oh, wow. I gave it that high, huh? <laughs> maybe maybe it was, it was a, a 5. Five. I thought it was a 5.5. 5. I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But um, I will, I'm going to give this one – I'm going to give this one a 7.75. 7. Um, and I, I think that uh, – I think that in time it will probably get – grow a bit more in fact i think after seeing it live it might actually go up but um i i just i did i really did like this um it's uh it's not like my favorite type of music in the world but but i mean this was a band that there was a time where you couldn't pay me to listen to them and uh and now it's like you know you realize if you take the time um dream theater copyright uh you know you might find that you enjoy something that you uh you know might have uh you know cast aside on on one listen and, and you know even like i have to say like i've mentioned it the last few weeks like evergrey like they're the tracks i've heard from their new album i haven't had a chance to hear the whole album yet but like there's another band that i'm starting to warm up to a little bit and, and so and i used to the pain of salvation and evergrey used to be the pair of prog power darlings that i just did not understand and we have to know, do an evergrey album by the I way under, i understand that a little bit more now not 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 completely but a little we, bit we uh we, we have to do an evergrey album as an aside I'll just say for me, this is a nine. I think that, like I said, if you would have asked me um, going into it what it was going to be just based on a little bit of a nostalgia pop, I probably would have said a 9.5 because Remedy Lean is still a 10 for me. It's not – it is not that it is not that good, but it is still very, very good at a nine, and I just love the album, and uh, I can't wait to see it live. So uh, I will get the beer. You can join me on the floor, and uh, we have something to look forward to. Sounds good. Um, do you have a favorite uh, chapter of this album? Is there is there one that you like more than others? For me, I, I'd say chapter two was my favorite. Um, but I was just curious if you if you had to pick one. I it's funny because I think that if you if you know if you kind of like listen to what I was saying, there's parts of every chapter that I think are just high points, and there's kind of down points, if you will, as far as a down album on a nine goes. I would go with chapter two as well, I think. Um, the the Idioglossia King of Loss is a hard combination to beat. And although I'm a little down on her voices, I still recognize its greatness. Um, whereas, again, the as much as I love In the Flesh, I just, you know, I, chapter one is pretty good too. I'm just sick of ashes. <laughs> um, I think that the last bit, the, the last chapter is a little bit weaker than the rest but it just makes up for it with that final closing number, which is fantastic. Well, uh, I, I guess this is it. This is the uh, the final episode of the Metal Exchange. Justin's whole purpose of starting this podcast was to get me to admit that I like a Pain of Salvation album. You don't have to talk to me again. You're, <laughs> you've reached your goal. Uh, just kidding. We actually have um, some pretty cool stuff planned for our 100th episode, which is coming up quickly and uh yeah but um you have a few uh if you're done with pain of salvation uh, i don't want to cut you off but uh, if you're done i want to i know you have a few uh 
some uh, news items you want to mention, some uh, some juicy gossip in the metal world. I do, I do. Uh, we'll get to the gossip at the very end. I'm going to go with some uh, Blind Guardian news first. Their new album, The God Machine, is due out in September on Nuclear Blast. Uh, the track listing was just released. It looks like it's going to be about nine songs. I'm curious to hear it. Whenever somebody says Blind Guardian, I my ears perk up. So that, that'll be a fun listen. That'll be uh, coming out in just a couple of months. What do you think, uh, contender for album of the year? <laughs> you know, I, I got to be honest in, with you. Can we say that in May? <laughs> we, we've talked about this. It's been a down year. Like, I, I'm not going to, like, kill it yet. Obviously, there's a long way to go. I'm, I'm working on my list. I don't know if any of the – with the exception of one or two albums, I don't know if, like, my third or fourth album of the year at this point would have cracked my top 15 last year. That's how, like – uh, might, things might not might not by the end of the year it might, might not, not. you're right it's 10 just, or 15 it it's, might it's, it, it's, maybe it's a maybe it's a stronger second half yeah i i'm hoping because there's been some good stuff but by and large i'm struggling to find great discs i like a lot of good stuff but nothing that like kind of broke the bank we'll see we'll see T- time will tell um but we did get some other good news, which I'm very excited about. 70,000 Tons of Metal is coming back in 2023. They are setting sail out of Miami, going to a destination, which they haven't told us yet. But they are leaving, I believe it's January 30th. I think it's we're until February setting 3rd. Sail, setting sail to parts unknown. Home of the <laughs> That's where we're going. Um, I, I think I have a uh, soft commitment from you that you'll be joining me this year. Yeah, I mean, um, you have offered me a uh, a spot in your cabin, and uh, I, um, I I think barring any sort of like financial ruin, uh, <laughs> I think that I'm going to try to make it happen. Especially now that my um, my uh, aversion to to flying has kind of uh, riding on boats has never been an issue for me, but you have to get on a plane to take you to the boat. So I thought you were going to say your aversion to death metal because there's a lot of it. So so Um, get used uh, to it. I I also understand there's a lot of alcohol on the boat, so that should kind of uh, make that a little more tolerable. (laughs) I I, I hope you like Foster's. I'll I'll leave that there. Um, But now we get for maybe the biggest news item of the week. There is a tiff. Uh, that really should just be settled in a big blue cage at this point. Jeff Scott Soto, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying I've had the pleasure to meet the man. I'm sure I will have a conversation or two with him in a couple of weeks. The former singer for Ingve Malmsteen, Journey, and obviously a bunch of other bands, Talisman, uh, Wet, I mean, the, the, it goes on and on. He's, he's obviously had a remarkable career, was posting something on social media about how he had gone to a show recently if not yesterday and he was talking about how he was going to support one of the opening acts not realizing that the tour was actually an Ingve Malmsteen headlining show and if what he is saying is true and I have no doubt uh, what he is saying sounds true to me Ingve Malmsteen refused to play the show as long as he was in the building And then would go online and further say that he snuck into the venue like a 15-year-old kid and ultimately um, would refuse to leave and that it was him causing all the problems. Now, I don't have a lie detector test uh, ready. I just have common sense and experience on my side to tell me one of these two is not telling the truth 
and I will let you know that it's probably the Swedish one. I, I just, I don't see how it's, I, I, this is insane to me. Is this really, is this real life or is this just fantasy? Um, I trust the guy who knows how to sing. That's going to be my, uh, <laughs> as you almost spit out <laughs> Because what else do you need to say? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Ingve has become something of a parody of himself at this point. So, uh, you know, again, I'm with you. I have no reason not to believe Jeff Scott Soto. I also know that he's probably had a successful enough career that he doesn't need to be sneaking into shows and not paying to get in. And uh, I, I hope to, I hope to be able to, to meet him uh, this year at Prague power, but boy, I, I bet he's going to be so sick of hearing people talk to him about this incident by the time, uh, you know, a week and a half rolls around. Um, because this is a guy who, who's been, I don't, I'm not going to say he's been living in Ingve's shadow for a lot of years, but this is a guy who has, is, is forever tied to Ingve, he was the vocalist on the first two, you know, Ingve albums, and my God, I mean, Soto is not that old now. So what was he seven when they recorded those <laughs> first two well Ingve albums? I mean, and and that says that a seven year old sings better than Ingve does now on his current albums. But um, <laughs> I mean, wow. Um, I mean, to me, Soto has done so much to write his own ticket since those. Ingve albums back in in the early 80s you know doing now he's singer for sons of apollo and like you mentioned talisman who has like so many underrated songs and wet like you mentioned um and we're gonna see him as you know while we're on the, the subject of prog power we're gonna see him do a set of entire entirely queen songs um with uh the the band uh that's that's gonna be playing before Seven Spires or, or, uh, on Thursday night, um, what's, uh, what are they called? Spectra. Um, and, and Soto also said that he would be, um, coming out during Spectra's set and, uh, being a part of that because I listened to their album and, uh, man, I know I'm very long winded tonight, but, um, I listened to the Spectra album. You could totally hear throughout the whole album Soto doing backing vocals. So if he just comes out to do backing vocals for his backing band two days later, I mean, how cool of a guy is that? Clearly, this is not a man who's sneaking into concerts and being <laughs> asked to leave by by the overlord of uh, of electric guitar and other <laughs> and other such things as donuts. Uh, Ingrid Malmsteen. <laughs> And that'll put a bow on it. Um, I feel like it's been an eternity since you've picked an album. I'm, I'm curious to hear what I'm listening to um, going into Memorial Day weekend. Well, you know what? I decided I was thinking about it, and I kind of wanted to keep things keep things light and and easy uh, because we have you know this trip that we've mentioned four thousand times coming up. So and and that Pain of Salvation album was so dense and so meaty and so. Like it was, it was an effort. I mean, and so I want to give you something that for both of us is going to be effortless. Much, and, much appreciated. And I'll tell you what gave me the idea. And of all things, Conrad Thompson gave me the idea. Why you may ask? I um, have no idea. Do 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 tell. Lately, do 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 tell. Um, <laughs> <laughs> lately, I've been seeing that. I guess. Bruce Pritchard has not been able to record his podcast every week like he used to because he works a very demanding job for WWE. So what they've been doing is kind of combining some of these uh, episodes that are similar in um, 
theme and making like these super episodes in their place. So let's say they did a Shawn Michaels 1994, 1995, 1996 in three different episodes. They just cram it all together and you're kind of listening to like this three year history or whatever of one guy. My goal eventually is when we're done with this podcast that we will be able to put all the episodes together and you'll be able to listen to the history of Halloween from Mm. Walls of Jericho, which we've done to the Halloween self-title album, which we've done, but we haven't done anything in between. You're right. So, so let's start with the keeper of the seven keys parts one and two. We'll talk about both. We'll make it, uh, you know, it was supposed to be a double album anyway. So we'll make it a, a double episode. It probably combined is shorter than Perfect Element. Um, <laughs> it's certainly less dense, and, I'll tell you And that. in all honesty, we could probably record it now without even having to listen to it, but I figured it'd be easy enough. And um, I initially was thinking about doing, like, the the all four Kiss albums, but I think I want to save Pink Bubbles and Chameleon for another day because I just it's think... a different conversation. Are, yeah, and the Keeper albums are so, um, like, historically important in the world of metal that I think they kind of deserve their own albums, but I also think that they need to be discussed together. So, um, I like real, real softball, uh, for before Prague power, but, um, that I thought that would be cool. And like I said, uh, at some point, I think it'll be kind of neat to be able to go back and, and listen to us talk about the entire history of Halloween. Cause we're, it's just not going to be feasible to do in one episode like we did with shadow gallery or conception. No, just uh, too much, too much meat on the bone, if you will. I like it. I think it's a great idea. I look forward to uh, going back and listening to those albums again. Although I probably could sing them for you, not, but I probably could. Um, and uh, you know, that'll be uh, that'll be a nice uh, light listening this week. But I'll, listening, I I will enjoy. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Is the, the um oh is the podcast going to be longer than the album? Almost right. We're close. We're about we're about there. I think it's a good comp. I think it's a good companion piece at this point. So yeah, with I, that, I actually was we're at, we're yeah. at the six, sixty-eight minute mark. I thought honestly, I thought we talked for like three hours. So <laughs> it's probably how the album felt when you were listening to it. Uh, kidding aside, thanks for uh, going down the rabbit hole with me. I appreciate it. I'm glad you'll enjoy the set with me uh, in a couple of weeks, and uh, we'll come back next week with some Halloween. So um, with that, enjoy the week, and I will talk to you soon. Take care, buddy. Oh,